Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Good morning, church. And it is so good to be back together. There's just something about worshiping together that is really hard to do through a television. Amen. But we are thankful to be able to be here together. We're thankful for everyone that's joining us online and watching at the chapel. We're just so thankful. And if you're a guest this morning, if you are a a student here at Corbin, we're just thankful that you're here. Uh, You picked a great Sunday to come. I want to encourage you now to grab your Bibles and join me in the Old Testament book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50 is where we're going to be this morning as we are in our series, The Unseen Hand. And, And for our church, this series is very relevant because we are in a season of change. We're in a season of sacrifice as we've got construction going on back at our church building that is that has been made possible through the sacrificial giving of our church we've all been asked to to make accommodations and to flex and that can be uncomfortable that can be hard Uh, but individually I know this morning that for a lot of us individually we are in a season right now that is uncomfortable in our own lives apart from the church apart from what's going on here at Salem Heights There are many of us that are going through a season facing hardship, facing trials that are difficult. Many of us feel overwhelmed. Many of us feel maybe frustrated. Maybe even you this morning find yourself a little bit discouraged. And so the goal of this series has been for us to be reminded that in every generation, God's unseen hand is working all things together for our good and to his glory, amen? That's what we wanna be reminded of. And so each week we've been looking at these familiar stories from the Bible. We're gonna do that again this morning as we look at the life of Joseph. But here's my hope for this morning. I wanna challenge our perspective. I wanna challenge our perspective of God's timing. I wanna challenge our perspective of God's proximity. And I wanna challenge our perspective of God's process. Now, one of the stories in the Bible where we can clearly see an unseen hand is in the story of Joseph. Now, his life is covered through 14 chapters in the book of Genesis. So we're gonna be here for a while, buckle up. No, I'm just joking. We're going to look at the the last words we see at the end of Genesis chapter 50 this last interaction that Joseph has with his brothers. But to kind of give us context for where we're going to be reading this morning, uh, our friends at the Bible Project have a a great kind of one-minute overview of the life of Joseph that I want us to watch. So let's take a look. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat and his brothers because of this come to hate him so much so that they plan on killing him but they don't they instead just sell him as a slave down in egypt now while in egypt through this crazy series of events joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there and so later on the the whole middle east falls into this food shortage and joseph's brothers they come down to egypt looking for food and then when they get there Who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But 
he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother, but God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. We're going to read now Joseph... Joseph's words to his brothers here in Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. If you would stand with me, if you're able, in honor of God's word this morning. If you're ready to hear from the word of the Lord, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, their suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him and they bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Joseph and his father's family remained in Egypt and Joseph lived for 110 years. He saw Ephraim's son to the third generation and Manasseh's son, Mekur, to the recognized by Joseph. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But listen to this. But God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from the land to the land he swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. And Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Do you believe that happened? It did. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we direct our thoughts and our attention in these next few moments to this life of Joseph, God, I pray that you would help us hear from you. God, that you are the artist. You are the potter. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us see some lessons in the life of Joseph that we could apply to our own lives, lessons that we could learn that would help us to see and appreciate your unseen hand. God, I pray that you would do that now for us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a couple of statements here in the last part of Genesis chapter 50 that just jump out to me. And one of them is just his response to his brothers because it's a pretty remarkable response. Wouldn't you agree? Here at the end of this life, Joseph has this interaction with his brothers. His father has died and now his brothers come and his brothers are thinking, you know, if Joseph was just being nice to us while dad was around so that he didn't hurt dad's feelings, 
well, now dad is gone and perhaps now we're going to face our brother's wrath. And it would make sense for Joseph, even though he's had all this time now since his brother sold him into slavery, for, them to hold, for him to hold a grudge. I'm sure that none of you have ever held a grudge against anyone who's offended you. But it is possible that over time, Joseph could have developed a bitterness and a harshness towards his brothers. I mean, let's just face it. His brothers have been jerks. Their selfish, evil, deceptive actions had cost him years of his life. You know, people have wronged us. Maybe we, we missed out on the last slice of cake or perhaps we didn't get that promotion that we were hoping to at work. Joseph lost decades of his life because of his brother's decision. And on top of that, it seemed that God had allowed it. But that's not what we see here in Joseph. And the question I have is why? Well, it's because I believe Joseph learned a few lessons along the way that has provided a perspective, but also a peace that we read here in Genesis chapter 50 that comes when, when we know in our heart of hearts as a created being in the face of a living God that we know with certainty that God will come and deliver us. He will come to our aid. And so there are three lessons throughout the life of Joseph that I, I want to highlight for us this morning that I think that if we will learn from Joseph's life and apply these lessons to our own lives, we too can have the right perspective when, when we're in the face of an obstacle that seems insurmountable. And so here's the first lesson that I think Joseph learned that led him to have that kind of response towards his brothers at the very end. And that is this. Don't confuse delay with indifference. Here's the truth. God is working while we are waiting. And right now, some of you are waiting. You've, you've made your request to God. He, he knows because you've told him what it is you feel that you need from him. And you are right now in that process of waiting. And can we all agree that waiting is hard? No one likes to wait. No one likes to wait. It's hard. And it's when we are waiting that we are tempted to possibly doubt God and his goodness, his provision, his ability to intercede. It's in those times of waiting where we might get impatient and actually go and seek means to try to fulfill our own desires, to try to make a way for ourselves. But here's the reality that it's just been jumping out to me as I've been studying some of these characters in the Old Testament. Is that waiting is in the story of so many people's lives that God used in a mighty way. In fact, I, I would challenge you to try to find someone that God used and that's recorded for us in scripture that we don't see a period in their life where they had to wait from the time that God said something was gonna happen or God would commission them to actually God fulfilling that through them. Waiting is part of faithfulness, waiting on the Lord. If you were to go back and read through Joseph's whole life over those final 14 chapters of the book of Genesis, you would see that in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has these two dreams. And in these two dreams, basically his family is going to bow down to him. That's the interpretation, that they're going to honor him. And they did not like that dream. His brothers, but also his father and mother, in this dream, God gives him this vision that your brothers will one day bow down to you. It's not until 
Genesis 42 that we actually see the brothers come to Egypt in the midst of a famine and they come to Joseph, not even recognizing it's Joseph at first and they actually bow down, the fulfillment of what God has said. It tells us in Genesis 37 that Joseph was 17 years of age when he had those original dreams and that he was at least 37 years old when his brothers actually came. I actually did the math. There's 167 verses from that verse that tells us about the dream till the verse where the brothers bow down. 167 verses on a piece of paper in black and white. But those 167 verses represent 22 years of waiting. And not just waiting in comfort, waiting in prison, waiting oppressed, waiting in isolation. And it's during those 20 years that Joseph could have thought God didn't care. God obviously doesn't see what's going on or maybe God can't do anything about it. But now looking back, what has Joseph learned is that God was at work the whole time. I want you to hear that this morning. For all of you who right now, and I'm not gonna have you raise your hand, but are in a season of waiting. You've, you've made your request to God. You know that you need him to intervene because you're facing something that you can't fix or solve on your own. And you're waiting for him to either fulfill what he's told you or what you're waiting for him to answer your call. What I want you to see is it's worth it. God is working right now. He's at work. He hasn't stopped. Because sometimes when we're waiting, we can feel like, man, God's just, he's indifferent. His inactivity his slowness, his delay is making me feel like he just might not care. And that's not what scripture tells us. In Genesis 45, verses five through seven, this is what Joseph first says to his brothers when they come. He says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. I mean, think about that. 20 years, lost. 20 years I could have been doing so much more with his life, been so much more productive, done so much more for God. He's been sitting in prison in Egypt. And the first thing he says is, you've got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. No. Don't, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for what you did. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there's still five more years without plowing or harvesting, but God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. I want you to hear right now in the waiting, God's delay is not indifference. He is at work right now. Whatever it is you're facing, and even us as a church, as we've been displaced and we've been relocated for a season and things are not normal and things are a little bit uncomfortable, God is at work right now. He's at work right now. Joseph knew that the whole time, he looks back and he can see it now. So if waiting is hard, how do you and I wait well? Well, I think we see an example in Joseph's life and that is to serve well. And that's probably the last thing we wanna hear. Because usually we're usually waiting for something that God's going to do to bless me. And you're saying, well, I'm waiting. So while God's not answering me or hasn't brought to pass what I believe he's promised to me or called me to, you want me to serve? That's what Joseph did. Joseph served well while he waited. And a couple of places throughout his life, one being Genesis 39 verse 2, it says that, 
The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. There's a couple of places in Joseph's life as we read his story that we see that he actually was known as a, a good worker. So much so that his reputation was one that his, his masters would put him in charge. And so much confidence they had in him and his work ethic and his integrity that he served so well that they just would entrust him with so much responsibility and not even pay attention to it. Because they knew if Joseph was doing it, it was going to get done. Joseph served well while he was waiting. Because in that prison, being a slave didn't line up with the vision that God had given him earlier in his life. I'm reminded of a, of a man named William Carey. Maybe this is a name familiar to you. But William Carey is known by the church historians as the father of modern missions. In the late 1700s, he had gotten just captivated by the Great Commission that Christians weren't just supposed to come to know Jesus, but they were supposed to take that gospel to the unreached people groups to go to where it hadn't been. And so he decided to, to pick up his family and to move to India. He was able to partner with a man who was going to do medical missions and they went to India. And in the first seven years of his time in India, his partner abandoned him. He lost a child. He got very sick and his wife had a mental breakdown. And for seven years, he faithfully served in India and he saw zero converts. Seven years. And during that seventh year, the first convert placed their faith in Jesus Christ. What would have happened if Carrie had gotten there and in six years, six months, and 24 days, he said, that's it. But we believe in a God who could have sent someone behind him. God could have totally intervened. But what we see here is a faithfulness to the call that even in the waiting, he was faithful to serve. And now what do we see? Carrie not only led that man to Christ, but he is given credit for translating the English Bible into every major language in India, planting over 25 churches, starting over 125 schools, organizing medical missions, and having a great impact, a ripple effect for years and years to come because he stayed faithful to serve in the waiting. I love this quote. This was William Carey's perspective and it would be a great one to adopt ourselves. He said this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. How bright is your future? If your future is pretty dim and doesn't seem very hopeful, it's because you're not banking it on building upon Christ because any future built on Christ is as bright as possibly could be because he is at work while we wait. So how do you and I stay faithful? We need to remember that the God's unseen hand continues to work while we wait. Amen? That's the first lesson. Don't confuse God's delay with indifference. But here's the second lesson that I think Joseph learned throughout his life is that this, don't confuse loneliness with absence. Don't confuse loneliness with absence. I gotta believe that there were many moments throughout those 20 years that he was in prison and oppressed that he felt lonely, isolated, apart from anyone that he felt connection with. But the reality is Joseph knew that God is closer than you think. From the pit that his brothers first threw him into Potiphar's house, 
from prison to Pharaoh's palace, the Lord was with Joseph. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn over to Genesis chapter 39. We see this. Starting in verse 1, Genesis 39 says, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, and an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. And look what it says in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. The Bible here clearly says that even though he's now been sold into slavery, he's been removed a far distance from his family, God was right there with him. If we skip down to verse 21, some things that happened in Potiphar's house, he'd been wrongly accused. And so then he gets put in prison and it says this in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and he granted him favor with the prison warden. Throughout Joseph's life, even though he went through a lot of hard circumstances that were not of his own wrongdoing, it says that God continued to be with him. Even Pharaoh goes on later on in chapter 41, verse 38. Pharaoh has these dreams. None of his people can interpret them. And there's a man that remembers Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. And so he tells Pharaoh about him and Pharaoh calls Joseph into his presence and even Pharaoh can notice that there's something different about Joseph. It says in chapter 41, verse 38, and Pharaoh said to them, can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him? Joseph, no doubt was lonely, but he had learned that in his loneliness, God wasn't absent. God was with him. In our text that we read this morning in Genesis chapter 50, it says that he's about to die and he calls his brothers close and he says this remarkable thing in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land that he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though he was alone, Joseph was confident in God's active presence in his life. Man, that's such an important word for us to hear because we can be around a lot of people. We can have a lot of friends on social media. We can be a part of a big church and yet we can feel so alone. And my guess is this morning, there are some of you who feel alone and you're questioning how close is God? the lesson that Joseph learned in his loneliness and the lesson that's been recorded for us in scripture and the lesson that we need to learn ourselves this morning is that we can feel loneliness, but that doesn't mean that God is absent. And here's the reality that I have learned. There's an intimacy with God, a closeness to God that can only be developed through suffering. I was reading a book about uh, this guy who was talking about his college days and how he got into photography and developing film. Now for the younger generation in the room, before your phone just took a picture, you actually took a picture, you didn't know what was on it. And then you printed it on paper. 
Crazy. Crazy. But this process of developing film, you'd go into this dark room and you would have these special lights because the, in order for that image to be on the paper and for you to make a photograph, you had to be in darkness. And if the film was not in complete darkness long enough, it wouldn't develop. The picture would not come through. It would not transfer onto the paper. This author, as he was telling the story, says this, faith is like that. It's developed in dark times. Our trust in the Lord is tested when we cannot comprehend our circumstances, but still wonder what God might be doing behind the scenes. I believe God allows us at times to be in seasons of loneliness where he allows certain things of this world that we're trying to find comfort from, that we're trying to find belonging from to kind of fall apart and to fall away. And I don't think it's because he's trying to punish us. I think what God does sometimes in his goodness to us, because again, he's working all things together for our good and his glory. He's actually getting away, removing and, and getting those things away that are distractions so that our only option <laughs> is to turn to him to draw us into him so that we can actually see him and want him and desire him and build our lives upon him and experience his guidance and his wisdom rather than try to kind of find a crutch on anything else that we could make. God allowed Joseph to spend 20 years apart from his family in a country that he didn't look like anybody else, didn't act like anybody else, didn't. And God was with him the entire time. The lesson for you and I to, to learn this morning from Joseph's life is don't confuse being lonely that, with God not being there because he's closer than we're often aware. He's closer than we often think. Final lesson. Don't confuse hardship with defeat. God's plan is always going to come to pass. We can try to ignore it. We can try to say, no, look, I can prove it because God let me down here. Or I just continue to fight, kind of feel like I'm living my life going against a headwind. So how could God be good? How can I trust him? And the reality that we see in Joseph's story, but just so many stories throughout the Bible over and over again, is that God's word is going to come to pass. This story of Joseph reminds us that God will, his will cannot be thwarted by man's evil actions and intentions. One of the most famous things that Joseph ever said and one of the most familiar phrases that we know if we've grown up around the church comes out of Genesis chapter 50. And it's that, it's that verse 20 that we even sing a song about. Where his brothers have come to said, hey, Joseph, dad told us to tell you to not hurt us. Think about it, these are grown men, but they're still. And he says, am I God? It's not my job to hold you accountable for those decisions. But here's what I've learned. Here's the lesson I've learned. Verse 20, you planned evil against me. He doesn't let them off the hook. What you did was wrong. But God planned it for good. To bring about the present result. And this is what I think. It's, it's not just his glory, which he's glorified because he did something that only God could do. Only God could see down the road that famine was going to come and he's going to use Joseph to spare this people that God had made a promise with. The people that God with whom send the savior of the world through. It says that, no, it wasn't just for his glory. It was for our good. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. 
So don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. See, here's the reality. The jagged edges of this broken world are going to cut us all. There's not a single one of us that could claim, I have not been scarred by the sinfulness and brokenness of this world. Are there different levels of pain and loss? It seems to be, but we're all scarred. But the lesson that Joseph learned and the lesson that I think we need to learn if we're going through a time where we are suffering and we just can't seem to get out from underneath this and we're waiting on God and he doesn't seem to be answering our prayers is this, the pain that God allows us to go through is never pointless. I was reading a a, a book talking about pain and, and this author used this term ambidextrous faith. I never heard this before, ambidextrous faith. Now, we, I've heard of being ambidextrous. That's the ability to use your right hand and your left hand with equal skill. Now, anytime I start to think of an illustration for a sermon, I go on Google and I start to research it and I kind of go on these deep dives and it's, it's weird. But there are people out there, I didn't know this, that actually can draw at the same time with both hands. I can't draw with my good hand. And there's people that can draw pictures like this at the exact same time using their right hand and their left hand. This is amazing to me. It's the ability that there's no weakness. I can do this. Think about how much more homework you college students could do if you could do it with two hands. How does, what does ambidextrous faith mean? How does pain relate? Listen to what this author said. Do we trust that the sovereign Lord of the universe just might know more than we do about how the world should work? Have we experienced enough of his grace and greatness to convince us to have an ambidextrous faith, trusting that he will use both blessing and heartache to produce wisdom and faith, character and hope in us? Thanking God for his love, power and wisdom, no matter how or where he leads. Doing that renews our hope, lightens our load, and put steel in our soul. Pain is never pointless. God can allow that pain, that hardship is not defeat. He can actually use that to develop an ambidextrous faith in us. The kind of faith that we read about later on in the New Testament that Paul said that whether I have a little or a lot, if it's in good times or bad, I have learned that I can do all things through Christ. I can be content in all circumstances. God can use suffering to develop an ambidextrous faith. The kind of faith that we could say with confidence like Joseph, what we read him say here in verse 24, I am certain that God will come to your aid and bring you up from this land to a land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What keeps us faithful when we face hardship? Well, we remember that God's unseen hand is at work even when we don't perceive it. So how about you and I? Three lessons that Joseph learned throughout his life. He learned to not question the Lord, to not confuse these things that are so, so real in our emotion. They feel so heavy and yet to not confuse those emotions for reality. 
But what is it for you and I this morning that we're questioning God's timing? God, why is it taking so long? God, why are you allowing this to continue to go? Why won't you just give me a little bit of glimpse of what's behind the curtain of your will? Why are you making me wait? What is it in your life right now that's causing you to question God's proximity? God, where are you? I do not feel close to you. I pray, I read, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get spiritual counsel, but yet I still just feel like I'm by myself. What is it in your life right now that's causing you to question God's process? God, why are you doing it this way? There's such a better way here. There's such an easier path here. Why are you causing me to go through this narrow, difficult path? Here's the truth that we see in the Bible, both in Joseph's life and many other people that the Bible tells us about. is that God is faithful to finish what he starts. If you're in a, in a space right now where you're feeling that hardship and you're questioning God's timing, you're questioning his proximity, you're questioning his process, I want to let you know you're in good company. But the hope that we take away from this morning is not just, well, just suck it up, buttercup, that's life. No, the hope that we take this morning is God's promise to us. Just like Joseph was confident, God's going to deliver you and give you what he promised you. The promise to us is that he will finish what he started in your life. You know, when he started working in your life, it was before he became saved. But when you placed your faith in Christ, a whole new pathway opened up. And this is what Paul writes in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, just as sure as Joseph was. I am now sure of this. And Paul went through his own struggles. We'll learn about that later on in this series. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until he comes and takes us home, he will not leave us on our own. He is faithful. And that's Joseph's testimony. If you were to look this week at Genesis chapter 41, it says that Joseph had two sons while he was in Egypt and, and he named his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. And these weren't just normal names. These were names that reflected a testimony of what God had done while he was in the trial. It says Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all of my hardship with my family. And the second son he named Ephraim, and he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. These lessons that we see in Joseph's life have been left for us to learn. And if we will, those lessons will not only give definition to our past, they'll direct our future. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to review the life of Joseph and to see your unseen hand so clearly at work in his life. God, you, you loved Joseph, even though you allowed him to, to be sold, to be abandoned by his family, to be sent off into slavery, to be oppressed and accused, to be forgotten about, but then to be able to be given an opportunity, a supernatural opportunity to be put in a position where he could provide for his family and accomplish your will. God, you loved Joseph through that whole time. And so God, I pray that we would learn from his life the lessons that we see reflected in his statements at the very end, that God 
has caused these things to happen. God will make them turn out for good. And God is the one that will deliver us. God, would you help us to trust in your unseen hand? Would you help us to trust you with the timing, be more aware of your proximity and know that your process is gonna lead right to where you're at. God, help us to trust that more every day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.